I'm not called the Cleaver King for nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Axe and Iron Podcast. I am joined by my co-host Roy Scott from Vintage Axe Works. And with us today is Dan Jacobs from Upbeat Vintage. How you doing, Dan? Hey, fellas. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Good, good, good. It's nice to see you, buddy. It's been a nice while. To see you too. It has been, yeah. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about what Upbeat Vintage is. So, I basically find stuff that I personally love, which is butcher tools, so cleavers, seminar knives, anything butcher related. I love World War II fighting knives. <clears throat> the gnarlier, the better. Um, antiques that I find along the way that uh, I connect to and I restore them. I bring them back to life. And then I sell them as fully functional works of art. Wow. So how did the butcher thing become your interest? Yeah, I've always, I've always kind of wondered that also because you're not a butcher by trade, right? I'm not. Um, yeah. That's actually a really good question. Do I even know the answer to that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Some so, things just speak to you, right? Yeah, exactly. So I really started finding these old cleavers uh, when I was working for a clean-out company. So I don't know how far back you want me going in my story. Uh, I've got uh, two go. years, and we got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. So... By trade, I'm a special ed teacher. I, w I got my master's degree in elementary special ed. That was about uh, 10 years ago or so. And I was doing that for a few years. It was way more challenging than I thought it would be, but I just stuck with it. Uh, I got laid off from my job about two weeks before my first child was born. Oh, jeez. Uh, jeez. Yeah. She's 10 now, Claire. She's my oldest. And uh, so I had a scramble. I didn't want to go on unemployment. I wanted to actually work for my money. So I took right the on. first job I found, which was uh, this local cleanout company called Rockland Cleanouts, and uh, it's basically like a, a small family-owned one eight hundred got junk that type of company. Oh, okay. so yeah, yeah. We would clean out everything from industrial sites to office buildings to uh, just small homes, big homes, anything. Any anyone any, anyone who had junk that wanted to get removed, we would get the call and, and remove it. So there's some jobs that are, I, I would call anything go, everything goes jobs, where from the basement to the attic to the carpeting, everything is gutted from the house because usually the case was someone would pass away and uh, the owners of the home, the family members, they wanted to sell the home as fast as possible and cash out. Okay. So I got permission from those types of jobs from my boss to basically take whatever I wanted. Oh, okay. <laughs> Score. Yeah. yeah. No so, um, because they saw no value in any of that stuff, right? I mean, yeah, essentially, I mean, if my boss saw something that he wanted, he would obviously have first dibs on it. But the stuff I was looking for, which was rusty gold, you know, it was garbage to him. Right. So right, right. along the way, I was finding these these old meat cleavers, and it immediately—I never owned a meat cleaver in my life before I found them, uh, but they just spoke to me. Something like just went off in my brain where it's like that's an awesome piece of cutlery, I want to see if I could bring that thing back to life. So I found maybe, let's say I collected close to a dozen of them over a period of time. Mm -hmm. I started working on them, uh, had no idea what I was doing. 
but uh, right. learned along the way. I started out using Evaporust, which I know you know about, Roy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was using that right at the beginning. I, I looked it up on, online, you know, rust remover. I mean, uh, I, I guess I was like way behind the fucking ball on that thing or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was using that 10 years ago. It's great stuff. Yeah. The reason I don't use it that much anymore is it doesn't give me the finish I'm looking for. It kind of like um, gives a dull finish to the metal. Right. Yeah. Um, and I like to retain the original patina as much as possible. So it kind of destroys the original patina. So I only use it on occasion right now. Anyway, so these meat cleavers, I got them to work in condition. Uh, nowhere near the con- you know what I do to them now, but decent. I put them on Etsy along with other random stuff I would find that was being thrown out in these cleanout jobs. And within a few months, I was making more selling this stuff on Etsy than I was getting paid for the cleanout work. Jeez. Yeah. So I was like, wow, there's something to this. Um, so I basically just over time, I gradually was putting more and more stuff on Etsy. I was cutting- and, the, and this is like 10 years ago before the, all the maker movement kind of stuff really, really took off. Yeah, I didn't officially start my business until uh, 2013, which was just selling on Etsy. That was before Inst- going on Inst- Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so at the time, I was doing the clean it just to ma- you know make ends meet. I was doing the clean out work. I was private tutoring for rich people uh, mm-hmm. across the bridge in Westchester County. I was working as a supervisor in the education department part time at a local college. And then I was doing this restoration work. So I was doing like three, four things simultaneously for Gee. about two years straight. You were, fucking, you, was, you were fucking hustling, weren't you? I was hustling. <laughs> yeah, you were hustling. And where, where are you located at again? Salmon Valley Cottage, New York. It's in Rockland County. It's about a 30-minute drive from Manhattan. I'm right across the Hudson River from Manhattan. So the cleaver thing was probably pretty prevalent. That, like where you were like you were finding cleavers a lot apparently yeah right? this area, yeah so one of the, the biggest makers which i came to find out was foster brothers which is my favorite maker and they're from fulton new york which is upstate for me it's about a good healthy five-hour drive upstate for me okay still, uh, and there's another one lnij white that's from buffalo new york so there's a lot of makers from new york that made butcher um equipment and supplies and cleavers so it, it's kind of a hotbed area for sure well, just going around um, the city and all that stuff, there's there's legit butcher shops. Where like here in Kentucky, if you said, "Hey, Roy, where's your nearest butcher shop?" I'd be like, "I don't fucking know. I, I haven't even seen one." But right. up where you are, it's not uncommon at all. And and especially you know back in the day, the '50s, '60s, whatever, they were freaking everywhere. Yeah. And and it's awesome today how well. Um, mm these butchers are doing i know you and i have a mutual friend you you turned me on to uh what's his name um apple um uh yeah walter applebaum yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. so he was up in no not chicago cleveland or something like that or detroit or something he was down in florida at the uh, so that's where he is now well so no so he started there new york yankee steakhouse at a casino then he moved up to detroit and then he's back down in florida but he is a hugely successful butcher, and and it's awesome how, and I think it's awesome how these trades are coming back, and they're coming back where it's really fucking cool to to actually work with your hands, do something for the community, and and 
you know, it, it, it's a, it's just a, a job that you can be proud of at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, Walt is next level. He's not a, he's not a butcher. He's a rock star butcher. It's like yeah, yeah. next level. And yeah. I think it's cool that people respect the craft enough that they're elevated to celebrity status. I mean, yeah, absolutely. 10, 10 years ago, someone elevated like that. I mean, chefs have always been elevated, but butchers specifically, not as much. They, they never got the recognition that is do them. So it's nice to see them getting that now. So how do you think that happened? Not to like get off on a tangent here, but I think that yeah. like it, you, you would, I would suspect that you would know how that all played out because you were right there in the midst of it. And I would, I would assume also that you're providing your cleavers, your hog splitters, your lamb splitter, all those, all those tools for these guys, not to mention your freaking meat hooks, which are badass. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think that it's within a pocket of when I got into this. So maybe 10, eight, 10 years ago, people just started appreciating craft made stuff. Uh, so, I mean, but butchering is a craft. There's bad butchers and there's good butchers like, like anything else in the world. Right. Right. So people just started across the board in every realm, appreciating craft work. Uh, so like with what you do, uh, handmade stuff, leather work, um, custom stuff. I mean, it just everything was elevated to the next level. I think it kind of coincided with the hipster movement, you know. <laughs> I think I think there's a lot so, of truth to that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously it can get obnoxious, um, yeah. but there's also a lot of truth to it, where it's just recognizing things that are well made, well done. Because when you go back 50, 60 years ago, everything was well made. Everything was well done. Right. Think, yeah. Of course. Probably, probably further back than that. But yeah. Along the way, if you just take the last 50 years, everything has turned to crap. It's all China-made stuff. And uh, yeah. basically just Walmart bought stuff. It's uh, the cheapest thing. I mean, with my appliances in my home, like my, my dishwasher, my um, sorry, stove, whatever I have, it lasts like five years. I have to throw it out and replace it. And that's, yeah. you know, so people, I think, got tired of that. And they wanted to buy stuff uh, for you know, invest into it, right? Spend that lasts, yeah. Like, yeah, it lasts. Instead of uh, you know, throwing things out every five years, you buy something uh, that's quality, well-made, and it lasts a lifetime. Right. You don't just start, I mean, you don't stop at the butcher meat cleaver stuff. You run the full gamut. You got knives, and I see you're in the vintage lighters, and yeah, all kinds yeah. of shit that stabs other shit. So yeah, <laughs> ice picks so, and yeah. The reason I love my job so much is because I've always been a collector at heart. I I started collecting at six years old. Um, there was a park across the street from where I grew up. It was where all, where all the the local drunks went. And right. These weren't normal. These weren't normal drunks. They were fancy drunks. They would they would get beer from all over the world. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so my, my first collection was bottle beer bottle caps, and I had oh. a collection of like three to four hundred of them in a giant Ziploc bag. And and ever since then, I've always been a collector. So I went to you know baseball cards and you know whatever I, got, I yeah get my hands I, on. I got about three or four hundred beer bottle caps in my house. Fucking dude. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're two thousand twenty vintage. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, I basically have always been a collector, um, and. Um, the reason I love my job, like I said, is because I only collect things I love that I personally like. And so if I'm into lighters, I'll collect two, three, four, five hundred lighters and, right. I'll, <laughs> and I'll restore them 
and make them functional. And then I'll get tired of it and I'll move on to something else. So I basically collect things I love by curating curating it in a way of only selecting you know really high quality items that are in, in uh, like new old stock condition which is harder to find or uh, just so know, let's talk about that real quick because yeah. in your freaking instagram feed you have the craziest fucking new old stock stuff that i've ever seen and if i came across that stuff in in my crazy little axe world it would be really freaking hard for me to get rid of that stuff um yeah. But I like you post a lot of new old stocks and like complete cutlery sets, like eight knives in the box with the freaking wax paper and everything rolled up. I, how in the like, I'm sure everyone asks you, how in the fuck do you find that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Uh, you don't. You don't have to tell me. I'm like, I know it's it's all the same story. You just got to put yeah. your freaking nose down, and stuff comes to you, and blah 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 blah. But like, seriously, hats off to you for finding some really freaking cool, unique, new old stock stuff because I mean, a, a it's just it's, super freaking cool, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. A lot of it is just luck, to be honest. Um, the other thing is networking with the right people. So of um, course, I have a list of about 50 antique dealers from all over the world and they know what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And so when it pops up on their end and I'm talking internationally, okay. uh, they give me a ring, they show me what they have. We agree on a price and they ship it to me. So, um, awesome. th that took about 10 years to build up. That, that and, and Chris, you and I, we've talked about this a lot. Like whenever something pops up, you got to be ready to yeah. pull the trigger on stuff. 100%. And you have to, you have to have um, a handful of cash to be able to roll these purchases because you may not sell it today, but you, all three of us are looking three, five, ten years down the road. Yeah. Um, and whenever you see it, you got to fucking buy it. And yeah. sometimes it's tough, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. A, that's a great point, Roy. That's one of the my biggest struggles running this business is when it comes to vintage stuff, uh, when it comes up, it's going to be gone and you're not going to see it again. Exactly. So it's not like I can call a company and say, hey, I need 50 more of these. It's, right. it's there and then it's not. So like, I never went to business school. I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to like, managing my money and inventory, that's extremely difficult because I could have like, I could have just spent, let's say, three grand on inventory and then something comes up that's another three grand. Yep. It's like, I don't have that three grand. Yeah. But I know if I buy it, it's it's worth six, right? You, you got to yep. figure out how to make the three grand really quick. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um. Yeah. If you ever see me doing auctions on Instagram, you know why? It's I found something else to buy, and I need the cash. Yeah. <laughs> you you are the king of freaking auctions. Um, you have a very specific format that you've been using for a few years, and. Uh, again, not to get off on a huge tangent or anything, but have you seen that format um, be as effective today with the new algorithm on Instagram? Because me personally, I've done three auctions that have tanked every fucking time. So mm -hmm. do you have any, any uh, tips, tricks, suggestions, or are you feeling the new Insta or Instagram algorithm freaking clamp down too? Instagram sucks right now. I'm just yeah. going to put that out there. Uh, it started about a year ago with the algorithm, with the getting rid of the chronological uh, feed. Yeah. 
And it's just gotten worse right now. You know, it's owned by Facebook. They're monetizing it now like they did with Facebook. Basically, no one sees your stuff unless you pay for it. You pay to promote yeah. So, And I refuse to do that. I, I put my foot down a long time ago where yep. I never bought anything. I don't, you know, all my followers are natural. Um, yep. And I, I just I refuse to do it. So uh, the past few auctions I've done have kind of tanked in a way because of that reason. Um, the biggest part of auctions is, uh, like if I, if you want advice for auctions, is I don't make them long. I want people to like not be as interested or fired up about it if they have to wait three days for the auction. They want it more instant. So mm -hmm. I always do this. I always always start it and end it the same day. So I'll start it, let's say three in the afternoon, and it ends that night. Yeah. The danger of that is you, um, the, a small amount of people are going to see the auction because it's not hanging out there it's only out there for a, a little while so right the best the best way to get your auction to go higher is the more people that see it obviously but with instagram screwing things up there's not a lot of people seeing your posts so i'll go into my story i'll promote it i'll promote the auction in my story a couple times i'll do what i can it is what it is you know um without paying to promote it um you just got to cross your fingers and hope for the best this is what you're doing full time right yeah, so if we rewind a little bit, um, I was doing teaching full-time, right. got laid off, I did the clean-out work and was doing private tutoring and the Etsy, so I started, my Etsy started doing well enough, and Instagram when I started it, that I was able to quit my private tutoring, I quit working for the college, I quit the clean-out work, and that took three years. So it took three years to quit everything else to make uh, Upbeat Vintage full-time. So... This brings up another point, which I think is really uh, important, where people want, who want to start their own business, they think they can just quit their job and start a business. And it doesn't so, work like that. Thank you for fucking saying that. They, so people will scroll through accounts and say, oh, Upbeat Vintage, he's got 43,000 followers. Oh, Vintage Axe Works, 40,000, whatever. And they just think that it's an overnight success. Dude, we've been fucking grinding and pounding the goddamn pavement for fucking years. I remember the first time you and I hung out. I don't know where you were followers, but I was like in the hundreds or something. And here's Dan Jacobs, Upbeat Vintage. It was like, oh my God, I'm hanging out with I'm hanging out with Dan. And before we got on this call, I scrolled through my pictures. Dude, that was three years ago that you and I hung out for the first time. Yep. So for these fuckheads to, to come along and say, oh, it must be nice, um, where are you hiding your fucking money, blah, blah, blah. They, dude, they can fucking pound the fucking salt, dude. Yep. Fuck those guys. I agree. Yeah, and they have no idea the type of work that goes into what we do. I mean, on some projects, if we paid ourselves hourly, we're making like 10 bucks an hour. <laughs> so that is true. We are that not is true. Trust me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it took me three years working three to four jobs simultaneously to eventually cut uh, cut down on that work and make Upbeat Vintage full-time. And it was still a big risk at that time when I did it, but um, I was doing well enough that um, after three years of struggling and, and you know busting my butt uh, to, to say, all right, I can give this a full-time go. So it's been – it's four years now I've been doing it full-time. Mm -hmm. By yourself? Yeah, I'm by myself. So uh, the only people I, I, I'm partnering with two people, and that would be you okay, Roy? 
No yeah, shit. Sorry. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that sounded like you were fucking up? dying. Did it pick up? <laughs> God damn. <laughs> it sounded like you were giving birth. <laughs> shout out to Apple for making good fucking quality shit. <laughs> and shout out to... God Just... damn. <laughs> thank you, Stone Brewing. You make great ideas. Thank you, thank you, oh, thank you. And uh, shout out to uh, Skype for having a mute button that Roy doesn't <laughs> No shit. <laughs> Why am I telling the guest? I need to start telling the boy every day. <laughs> anyway. Excuse me. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, I work with anyone. So, yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a one man shop, but I do partner with a couple people to uh, make my life a little easier. I, I learned along the way that um, I'm really good at a few things, but the things that I'm not good at, I should hand off to people that are good at it. Oh, okay. So, um, what I'm good at is curating, so finding the, the cool items and yeah. uh, taking good uh, photos of them. And writing Dude, I was, I was going to bring that up. Your, your Instagram is straight up should be like a Smithsonian book or something. It is ah. ridiculous how clean it is. I appreciate it is, that. Yeah, it is crazy clean. Like, I mean, I was scrolling way back to like, this guy has to have a shitty picture somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. They're all really, so, really nice. So we talked about this a couple episodes ago, Chris. So, like, consistency on Instagram is what people are looking for. So whenever you sign on to to Upbeat Vintage's page, you know exactly what you're going to get. You know that it's not, oh, here's a random picture of him and his dogs. No. This is Upbeat Vintage. This is a business account, and it's no bullshit. So thank you for having a clean, concise page, too. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad people appreciate that because that, that was my goal from the beginning is I didn't want any distractions from what my goal was, which is to sell stuff that I love and to make, right. make a living off of it. So, um, you know, I try to keep it clean. Uh, I want so where I, else are you, where else are you se- selling? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I see yeah. stuff on Instagram you're selling every single day and you have the Etsy page still up and going. Yeah, the Etsy page is up, but I do like one percent of my business on Etsy. I just have ah, uh, okay. I just have some pocket knives on there and some random. So is it solely through Instagram then? Yeah, ninety nine percent of all my sales are through Instagram. Wow. Yeah, awesome. from the beginning. Yeah, yeah me, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried yeah. Etsy. I tried Etsy one time, and I I hated how much they took <laughs> because yeah. it was a it was a rather big item that I was selling, and I was like. Oh, that fucking hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, so. and don't even bring up eBay. That's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing uh, smalls. I bought a machine shop two years ago. And was in, or uh, last year, actually, a year and a half, something like that. And I did a bunch of smalls on eBay because they really weren't worth the time uh, to take a bunch of photos and just blah, blah, blah. It was kind of like there was so much of it that I really didn't care what it brought. Some of yeah. it. The stuff I thought was going to go crazy and bring tons of money didn't bring anything, and the stuff that I didn't think would bring anything brought tons of money. So it was like, it's, it's a total, weird. It's a total crapshoot. It, it really is. is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Okay, so uh, you guys were asking me if I hire anyone. So I'm a one man yeah. shop, but I do outsource some stuff to guys who do better than me. So right now, off the top of my head, I can think of three guys that I work with on a regular basis that do things better than me. So. Uh, the first guy is Brent, Fifth Hour Knives. He's going to come up eventually, and uh, he, yeah. here he is. Uh, I, I found him on Instagram maybe three, four years ago. He had like two, 300 followers. I was maybe around 8,000 at the time. And um, 
Like Solid Hue is putting. Dude, three years ago you were at thirty thousand. You were at thirty-five thousand three years ago, and that is a that that's an important number in my fucking mind. Okay, and we'll, we can talk about that later on. Then maybe I go back <laughs> further with Brent. It might be five years. Who knows? Anyway, um, yeah. So I saw that he posted a picture of a Foster Brothers cleaver with a brand new custom handle on it, with splicing in it and brass liners, and like it looked amazing. And I was like, that's what I need because I, I would find hundreds of cleavers that the handles were useless. So my, my specialty is what I do personally is I restore the existing original handle. That's my favorite thing to do. But sometimes, uh. sometimes the scales are missing. There's too badly cracked. The wood is rotted. There's all kinds of things wrong with it. So then what do, what do I do now? You know? So I found, right. I found Brent and I loved his work and I contacted him. And right away we hit it off, and so we've been partners for five years, at least five years now. Yeah, so that's one guy outsourced to. Another guy is um, I, I used a few leather guys over over the, uh, the past uh, six years on Instagram or so. Um, right now I'm with um, Payne Tool and Leather. Is that what uh, Jordan from Payne? Jordan Payne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah, I think that's right. Um, he does great work for me. Uh, for any uh, like World War II fighting knives that don't have sheaths, uh, he hooks me up. And then I have a guy outside my garage right now who's doing some sharpening for me. It was just overwhelming the amount of stuff I had to work on. And this guy's been sharpening for 40 years, and he's actually better than me. So, uh, <laughs> <I'd> <laughs> <say>. <laughs> yeah. so uh, where, that leads me to my other question. Where are you keeping all this stuff? Do you have a shop or you just keep it in your house? Do you have treasure chests? all over the place that you're keeping all this shit in like are you displaying it where's it where's it live until it's sold? you're not you're not gonna believe this but i'm i'm in a one car garage oh okay so everything like so i have a bait i'm in my house in my uh -huh. basement my basement is storage um so it's between my basement and my garage and that's it oh okay so Dan used to be in the loft area upstairs or whatever, little area, uh, small area. Then a couple years ago, you moved down into your garage. And Dan is very organized. Now, yeah, um, he's got freaking drawers and chests full of freaking cleavers he's like check out this and he like pulls open three or four drawers or whatever and it's just like doo -doo 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 -doo, lined up with freaking cleavers so you so, do have a ton of inventory then is what i was kind of getting to like are yeah. you have like thousands of tools just like yeah i mean uh, so my garage is, is i think uh 300 square feet very uh, tiny i off the top of my head i have about eight thousand blades in here Oh my god. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about um I think the last time that my wife and I were there, um, you were talking about um buying this whole collection of knives from this one guy. So I buy I buy people's collections also. So like talk about um pros and cons of buying big fucking collections, if you don't mind. Okay, right at the top, the, the con is you don't really know what the heck you're getting because it's impossible for someone. So this deal I did, it was 500 cleavers in one shot. Right. So it, it, you know, it's almost impossible to know exactly every piece the person has. Um, he basically was would just take pictures, random pictures of just like a dozen here, a dozen there. It's like okay, that looks good. Um, I got the price where I wanted it. Where even if I got some stinkers, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it would be okay. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, this guy I found on Instagram. It 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 was under the hashtag Cleaver. I looked mm-hmm. it up, and it was just a picture of a window, and through the window was a room, and in the room was just cleavers everywhere. It was and the the guy said it's called the Cleaver Room, and it was in a bookshop. It was in a twenty thousand square foot bookshop in California, and one mm. room of the bookshop just had cleavers. There's a locked door; no one could go in wow. there. Wow! <laughs> Holy shit! So. I, I had to really work to find who this guy was because since it was just a hashtag, I couldn't find who posted it. it yeah. Right, right, right. Thing. So I actually tracked it down. The guy's name was Wolf. Wolf? Wolf. W-O-L-F-E. And this 20,000 square foot bookshop in California. I called him up and I said, I see you have a lot of cleavers. Are they for sale? He's like, yeah, I do estate sales all the time. And I found uh, five to 600 cleavers at this estate sale. And I, the price is right. So I just bought them all. And he's like, they're available. So I was like, let's do this. So yeah. I got, got him down to the right price. I think I paid. So I told You don't him have to only, give numbers. Yeah, you don't have to tell us that. But what all, I missed. It, it was about five grand total. Oh, but Jesus. I only wanted 300 out of, out of the 600 he had because some were too new. Okay. And so I just, so I wrote him, I, I sent him the five grand and this idiot, he, uh, instead, oh, of, <laughs> instead of sending it all in one like container, like you, oh ship a, like, you know, you know, like you can ship a motorcycle across the country. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Instead of doing that, he sent them in flat rate boxes. Oh God! Three hundred cleavers. So we're talking like ten at a time. He sent me thirty boxes of cleavers. Oh my God! Jesus. Yeah, but that's, did that's they all what... come at the same time? No, I got. Oh, uh, so it was like Christmas every day. You're opening up that <laughs> box. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. It was like a box a day for a wow. Sausage. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I'm intrigued by the way people make money. What does a like? What's an average price for a cleaver? Like one of your cleavers. That are completely done and restored. Like, what's an average? Five hundred bucks. So, if we're talking uh, original handle, it's not yeah. going to usually not going to be that high. Um, okay. Yeah, that when I have to pay Brent obviously for his work, so that increases the the, the cost of a custom handle. Uh-huh. For original handle, my pricing really comes down to uh, condition, uh, to rarity, mm-hmm. and. Um, and, and size matters too. I mean, uh, it's harder to find the larger cleavers, which I get. I guess right. falls into the rarity uh, category. Um, yeah. So most people don't know the ra- how rare a cleaver is unless you're in it, like I am. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. It. So yeah. when I see one and I know it's rare, the price is going to go up because I know I'm probably not going to see it again. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say the range, the average range, is like uh, two fifty to three fifty inside that pocket right there for like a really nice. On oh, the okay, rare okay. side, in, in a really nice condition, original restored handle, razor sharp edge, uh, you know, ready ready to get into the kitchen or into the butcher shop. Very cool. Yeah. So let's so let's uh, let's talk about some of the the higher end stuff that you and Brent worked on, like the lamb splitters and the hog splitters, because those th- those things can get pretty pricey pretty freaking quick. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, the main reason they're so expensive is the hog splitters are just getting harder and harder to find. And not only that, I have to pay more and more to acquire them. So uh, if we rewind, let's say, seven, eight years ago, if I was on, let's say, eBay, for example, which is one way I would, I would find them, I could get a hog splitter in nice shape for 75 bucks shipped. 
Jeez. Mm, there would be like one or Damn. two. There'd be like one or two other bidders on it, right? Mm -hmm. so, so back then, my final price on a hog splitter, totally restored, would be like two fifty, three hundred dollars. Okay. Nowadays, there's forty bidders uh, fighting for a hog splitter, and it'll go up to four or five hundred dollars. So if wow. I win, guess what? You're paying a thousand after I'm done working on it. Yeah. So unfortunately, the price has got. It is my fault. It's a double-edged sword, pun intended. Where, yeah. 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 Yeah, so look, look at my business. Back when I started, I would get these cleavers for next to nothing, and I would, I would actually be able to sell them for very reasonable prices. Now to acquire them, it's a whole different story because everyone else, else is trying to find them. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah just the, the same just thing the, with everything. Yeah. Everything yeah. is turned up. Anvils yeah. used to get for 10 to $50, and now you like, good luck. At an auction, like an on-site auction, I remember – Laughing at people that spent a hundred dollars on an anvil. I'm like, what an idiot! Yeah. <laughs> really? I'm like, oh hell yeah! I remember yeah. this one time. This guy spent nine hundred dollars on a brand new. This was years ago. Brand new, like three hundred pound fishery. Spent nine hundred bucks on it. At the time, I was like, that dude's a fucking maniac. What an <laughs> idiot! Shit. Now I dropped nine hundred dollars on that anvil in like two seconds. Like I wouldn't even yeah. think about it. Yeah. But yeah, it's exactly. crazy. Every, so everything's kind of gone up. Still in my pain. Yeah. So exactly. The, the reason that um, I got turned on to you and what you were doing, Dan, was because even though that the 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 final product that you and I make is completely different, we're kind of along the same path where you know our prices are direct reflective of their acquisition cost and you and I both today have put in years of work and we kind of set the, the price for these things. So people are looking at you and go, well, Dan's getting a thousand dollars for a hog splitter. I know I can't get that. So I need to back it off a little bit because it's not an upbeat vintage piece. It's not a vintage ax works piece. So what you're saying, it's a double edged sword. You're a hundred percent right. And again, three years ago, I, I could see the parallels between our businesses. And thank you for like opening your house and your, your shop and everything to, to, to me and my wife. Fucking three years ago, like I was no one and we were on the road all the goddamn time. And every person that I was following on Instagram, I was like, hey, can I come over? I just want to chit chat and hang out with you. And I met tons of really cool people you included i think i've been to your house but three times now or whatever yeah sounds right yeah um so thank you for not being a complete freaking asshole to me <laughs> three years ago um <laughs> because it, it's so easy to to fall into that trap right oh i don't have time this person's coming through and we're fucking busy right i mean think about Chris, if someone comes over and is like, oh, I want to hang out with Matt and Ilya, like, day gone, him, right? I tell them to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that shit. We had two it, guys stop by the other day. They were interested in purchasing stuff, and they stayed there, and they just kept talking, and they kept talking, and they kept talking. I'm like, hey, guys, uh, <laughs> work to do. I don't want to be rude, <laughs> but if you're going to buy this shit, buy it. We got stuff to do. Like, let's go. You can't sit yeah. there and talk. All the fucking time. If you sit there and talk all the time, you never make any money. So, so I think yeah, this, this weird mystique type thing that happens when someone has a bunch of followers. You think they're different than other people, and you know, yeah, 
No. I've had okay. tractor trailer drivers ask me if they can pull their rig at my on my property because I live on a farm and they think they can just like drive their rig right up here and like come hang out for the day. I'm like, no, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've gotten all kinds of random things. I did do a, um, I did last year. I did an Instagram invite where I actually invited a bunch of people out to the shop for an open house, and I got like sixty people that day. For, and they were all cool. Nobody was a psychopath. Because I found out. Hey, motherfucker, they, why didn't I get that invite? I don't know. I put it, on, I put it out there. But anyway. You're such a, you're such a they fucking were, Adam. Dr- if people are willing to drive like three or four hours to come hang out, nine times out of ten, they're not going to be a psychopath. That's my yeah, true. Yeah. theory behind that. Because if they put in their actual time to come hang out, then they're probably fine. But yeah. to all my blacksmiths, guys out there and all the guys that are in the knife world go follow dan's account on upbeat vintage one thing that you guys will like is he has a bunch of new old stock cleavers knives and all kinds of crazy shit like that it is super inspiring from a metal guy standpoint to see some of this crazy forgings on some of these cleavers and the styles from you have some french shit on there you've had you got a ton of european stuff really really yeah. That I'm looking at. And yeah, there's some crazy, crazy shit on there to go so, look at. So Dan, what's the what's the holy grail in the Cleaver world? That's exactly what I was gonna ask. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna ask. So if you if you ask different people, you get different answers who are into cleavers. For me, it's the gold star line of Foster Brothers. Uh, it's uh-huh. referred to as the general, like you know, the three star general. Uh, they're just so rare and they're so beautiful. They come with Ebony wood handles and uh, brass star rivets. Uh, it was it was Foster Brothers' top of the line cutlery. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, anytime I I have one right here, anytime I find these, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Um, I also love anything new old stock. So if like a few occasionally I found new old stock gold stars, and to me that's like. Yeah. That's it. Doesn't that's get any better. It. That's it. Yeah. What's the most expensive piece you've ever sold? Like, what's mind blowing in the cleaver world? Like, um, sell a cleaver for five grand, something like that. No, never that. Not that high. I think I, I top out at around two grand. Wow, that's still yeah. crazy. That that's a lot of money. So would that be like a would that be like a hog splitter or a lamb splitter, something like that? Or yeah, that would bucks? be like so. The bigger you get with the hog splitters, the rarer they get, just because uh, they're using in slaughterhouses. Right. They're totally utilitarian tools. Uh, they, yeah. you know, normal people wouldn't have. They were, they were only, yeah. they only used in factories. And um, so, you know, when you get a butt, so hog splitters start at 12 inch blades. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then they go rarely 11. Uh, that's more of just a cleaver, not a hog splitter. But then they'll go 13, 14, uh, 15, 16. Once you get to the 16-inch uh, blade length, then you're talking getting really hard to find. Then if you go to 20-inch, then you're talking money. Yeah. yeah. The, they, made them up, they made them up to 28-inch blades. Jesus. Wow. How, much did, how much does one of those things weigh? Uh, 10 to 12 pounds. Good. Wow. Grief. So, yeah. d- were they? Did they just have like a, a corded wrap handle on them because they were just so heavy, or, or did they have wooden handles, or both? Just uh, both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, in these factories like the Swift factory in Chicago, they basically hang the cows up by their feet, you know, head down, ass up, 
and mm-hmm. uh, you'd split from the ass straight through the spine down through the skull. And these guys would hold these 28 inch hog splitters, cow splitters, and just do that all day long. They're on a pulley system. So that after they cut it, right. split it, slide it down the rack onto the next one, they're just hacking through bone all day long. That was Could you job. imagine that as your job? Like you, some of the, you, the cleaver styles that I'm flipping through are just like insanely cool. Like, really cool stuff. Like, everybody knows what, pretty much what a meat cleaver is, but, like, you get into some really weird, like, these bat wing style things, these French bone splitters, and... Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the French stuff is weird. Yeah, when you when you look at... Yeah, um, it's French. What do you expect? I know. I know. That's how their vices were. <laughs> What's kind of fascinating to me are the... It's referred to... Orphic cleavers. Hang and, on, you uh, just that means you just you just yeah, what was into that? robot mode. Say yeah. that again. So uh figural or zoomorphic. And uh that's when a cleaver blade is shaped like a uh an animal. Okay. Oh okay. no shit. Or it could be uh shaped like um you know, one time a couple times I found one that was shaped like women, where like the, the handle is the leg of the woman and the yeah, yeah. The yeah. Hand- and the end of the handle, the pommel is her foot, and then there's you know, um, so uh, you know, uh, some womanly curves cut into it. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So that's, what's interesting about that is they are only from Europe. The, uh, they were never made in the United States. Yes. So I have to import all of those. Any anytime you see a figural or a zoomorphic cleaver on in my feed, it's always from Europe. So uh, Poland was a big maker of them. Um, sometimes Russia. Uh, mm. Italy, France, Germany, you have to go to those types of countries. Romania, you have to go to those countries to find those. Yeah, I'm looking at this Russian uh, meat axe tenderizer made by Russian prisoners. Yeah. You're, the information you have in these photos is pretty, it's like, this is like solid shit, you guys. Like, yeah. Pete Vintage is like no joke. Like, he, he's giving you the specs, he's giving you where it came from, the origin, it's crazy cool shit. Just from a I'm not even into knives or cleavers or any of this shit, but from an educational standpoint, you do a really, really, really good job with your posts. It's pretty insane, actually, to flip through and actually, like, just click on a random cool picture, and it tells you everything about it. That's badass. Thank well, you. You, can, you can tell that he's not just doing it to flip freaking tools and to, to yeah. make a buck off. You, you care about it. You're passionate about it. Right. And it, com- and it comes out in the work that you do. I mean, some of the things that you produce along with Brent um, it's just, you know, set it on a shelf and go look at this cleaver that I have from Upbeat Vintage and Fifth Arrow. I mean, it is just a piece of artwork. It's just some of the pretty, stuff that you're you are. You're a young guy, too, aren't you, Dan? So I just turned 40 a couple months ago. Yeah, so you're young. I'm dude. older than you? Fuck! <laughs> God <laughs> damn it! You fucking look older, too, motherfucker. Jesus! What is the, uh, what's the end game with Upbeat Vintage? Just keep going, grow bigger, get a bigger place. Um, I mean, you got 8,000 cleavers in it. I guess that's a good thing about what you do is none of that shit really takes up a whole lot of room. Yeah, so <laughs> Like well, me, when I buy big power hammers and drill presses and sanders and shit, I got to have a 40-foot container just to put all that shit in. Well, to, clarify, <laughs> to clarify, I don't have 8,000 cleavers. I have 8,000 knives. Yeah, yeah, knives. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I have uh, probably 500 cleavers currently in stock. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't have any plan. Oh, good. That's yeah. a good way to go. Yeah. 
Uh, or I, do I? Whatever I'm happens, ha- happens. Yeah, I mean, you just I'm, roll. Yeah, I'm happy to wake up every day and love what I do. Yeah. Um, That's a I, huge part about it. A lot of people don't yeah. get that. It's like, yeah, you got to be happy with what you do. Otherwise, fuck it. And go back to your nine to five. Yeah, so, when, so I think, uh, when I think of the future, it's scary because if this falls apart and uh, Instagram keeps screwing with me and uh, no one sees my posts, uh, I'd have to find a different platform to sell on. You know, I've re- I have no idea what I do. Um, so I just kind of take one day at a time, which is a terrible way to run a business, but that's what I'm doing. Right. So, Dan, you want one piece of advice that I found through my selling stuff on Instagram with this new algorithm? I, I have I have no empirical evidence, but anytime I put for sale or auction or something in the post or the description, it never gets the traction. Like last year, yeah, they just go crazy. But now mm-hmm. this year, maybe it's 300 views or something. Yeah. Um, but if I totally disguise the post mm-hmm. as just a normal post, they seem to be taken off. And um I don't know why that is. I don't know if some if Instagram is turning on the spigot to some accounts and off on others. But it, it's this crazy freaking bullshit kind of stuff that we have to stay on top of as makers, as whatever people selling, using that platform to sell stuff on. Do you have a website, Dan? Uh, I'm, I'm still working on it. So I have upbevintage.com, but it's not yeah. up yet. Still, oh, okay. just still getting it going. Um, that's a good point, Roy. Uh, another thing I noticed with hashtags is some of them are shadow banned by Instagram where, uh, yeah. I believe they banned knife community. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I a knife, which is crazy, you know, but whatever it is what it is. Um, yeah. so I did start removing some hashtags that I knew were banned. I, I, I was alerted to that by, um, Dylan Grace from, uh, Dylan Grace, a DG blade company. Yeah. Um, he does hand forged knives. He, he was telling me that, uh, no one was seeing his post as if I had the same problem, same issue. And I did. And then he said that they were banning certain hashtags. So that's another thing to look out for. Well, the, the, the thing that keyed me in on it was, you know, I, I got a lot of friends that make knives and whatever, and, and they were saying exactly what you're saying. But then in my feed, I would see things that were like sponsored and it was like doghouse forge. We were talking about them last week, Chris. Right. Um, they popped up because they were doing a promotional um, thing, a promo thing. And yeah. in their in their post, they never said a word about a knife. It was all cutlery or butcher yeah. stuff or chef stuff. So there's mm-hmm. like these little – so I started seeing enough of those pop up. And I was like, I'm going to stop listing st- – I still do axe. I do axes and vintage axe works. But that those are the only two axe-related hashtags that i still use i used to use all that other freaking shit and i used to use 30 hashtags on every single post and now it's like five or six and i need to try i haven't tried that yet but i'll I'll do that today see what happens i i don't know um i've had mild success with it um so it 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 the thing that the point of it is, is that we all have to be cognizant that we are using a third-party platform to sell right. stuff, and we are at their fucking mercy. And it's free. And, and it's free. They could uh, say bye tomorrow. They, yep. So, Ab- what, basically, don't put all your fucking eggs in that basket. <laughs> I mean, you just gotta know, you gotta know people, like real people outside of follower community that will buy your shit, too. 
Yeah, that's I mean, why I've, I've, the website. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, just like people in general that call when they want shit. Your your stuff's pretty specific. Like, I don't know how many guys are calling looking for cleavers and knives and crazy shit, but I got a so, friend that would be interested in what you got going on now. Cool. My buddy so, Phil Dan, in upstate New York, he's like oh, yeah. nuts about cleavers and hog splitters and yeah, he has some. Cra- he's got a crazy collection too. Do you know yeah. Phil, Dan? Um, Phil, uh, what Phil's uh, Anvils and Antiques is what it's called. Phil's Anvils, An- Phil Anvils and Antiques. Yeah, on Instagram. Uh, it sounds very familiar. I probably yeah. He finds some really. I mean, he finds some. He's up by Buffalo. Yeah. He finds some primo. Him and his brother go out and they find like the best antique mm-hmm. stuff. And he is huge on eBay. He does. He's one of those accounts on eBay that just brings like crazy. Everything he posts is like gold. It brings like crazy, crazy money. And he's like a sixty-something-year-old dude that's retired and having fun. Him and his brother go around and buy antique stuff and resell it, and he's just having a blast. Like I said before, Buffalo, New York, and Fulton—they made a ton of stuff up there. So he's in the right place for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, so, hey, hey, Dan. Yeah. So one last question. Um, so and then we're pulling the fucking plug, Dan. You're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I've had enough of you. <laughs> so <laughs> go ahead. I'm a, sorry. I need another beer. I just opened another one. Oh Jesus! As long as that alien so, doesn't try to come out of your fucking throat again. Whatever. <laughs> so, um, who do you think? So just describe your your average customer. Do you think they're the butcher or do you think they're the hipster that's putting your item, what, whatever it is, a lighter, a, a knife, a cleaver on a shelf? Or do, is it a combination of kind of everything? Like just overall, what's an upbeat vintage customer look like? So there's no way for me to know fully what people do with the stuff I sell them. But um, I do talk with most of my customers and – I'd say the average person uses it and uses it hopefully not on people but on me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Dan. Jesus Christ. That took a dark that took a dark fucking turn right there. This is some Buffalo Bill shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, they use it. They use it all right. Um, really? Yeah, so mostly butchers, chefs and home cooks. I'd say mostly who I sell it to. I mean, like you, like you guys brought up, I also sell World War II knives and lighters and other stuff, um, which is more for collectors. Um, I sell some you know, hunting-type knives that people take out if they're deer hunters, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if I have an average customer. It's, it kind of runs the gamut. So, Chris, he's being modest also. He's right. got some very high-profile customers. I'm not going to mention Good. them because he, he didn't. So, um, there are some big name people that have upbeat vintage stuff from brass knuckles to lots of lots of cleavers lots of freaking cleavers uh a few years yeah oh hey may i may i ask you about that i don't know i don't know his name but you had one dude was like i'm gonna buy an upbeat vintage cleaver and i'm gonna throw that motherfucker and he's like (laughs) So that was me. That was me. Everything that, <laughs> that they make in the you. shop, I want to fucking throw it. 
Every time Dude, I imagine, get a knife or an axe no. or anything, I'm like, can I throw it yet? Can I throw it? That's all I want to do is fucking throw it. A meat cleaver would be awesome to fucking throw. So if you go through his feed, someone did that. I don't know who that person is. He's crazy funny. Um, yeah, what's his name? Crap. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, it's not he, coming to my now. But yeah, he's he's like a he's like a semi-professional thrower, and he got a hog splitter for me and just whipped it through the air. It had about three rotations on it before. Yes. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Once people buy it, I, I would prefer them to respect the tool, but they yeah. bought it. It's there. I can do whatever the hell they want with it. Wow. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. That's crazy. What have you been up to this week, Roy? Uh, I finished the five carving piece order for that, that collaboration for Whiskey River. I got two flying foxes. I got 20 in stock. I did two yesterday. I sold one within 25 minutes, so fucking high five on that. I still have the 24-inch. Awesome. I still have the 24-inch uh, flying fox, and I also sold a Craftsman little 12-inch hatchet earlier this week. So, I, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the shoulder. I'm only saying this because with all the shit that's going on right now, I You're thought, feeling pretty I, good. I thought that I would put something out there and it would just bomb. So yeah. people have some cash and it's and it's you know it, it's encouraging. So I'm just going to ride the wave until it freaking until I can. You know, I, I, that's all we can do right now. Yeah, this this um, past month has been rough uh, for me because I mean, think about the chain reaction, right? Um, yeah, it, it's hurt the hospitality industry uh, and cooks, chefs, butchers. Because no one's, you know, eating out. Oh yeah, I didn't so, even think of that. So all of my main customers, like you just asked me about, they're not buying because they have no money because they don't have jobs right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're and in all fucking ground zero too. Jesus yeah. Christ, New yeah. York State is out of fucking control. Yeah, so within a fifty mile radius of where I live, there's about fifteen thousand people that have it. That's so fucking mm. crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Um. I'm not too worried though. I think it's just the common cold. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Time will I, I tell. I hope they shut the fucking border to New York down. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfuckers! That, that fucking city is like out of control. I'm like Jesus. Yeah. I feel bad. My buddy Jeff lives in Peekskill, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, uh, you know, calm down. He's like, no, you don't understand, man. This fucking this place is crazy. New York's fucking crazy. These people yeah. are out of hand here. I'm like, yeah. Peak skill is about 45 minutes north of me, so he has even more distance than I do. From the yeah, system. but he's yeah, in the, not, he's 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 feeling it too, though. He's in the nice business. I was, and, I was half kidding. We're calling it the common cold, just because I think the media overblows it. Crazy. They do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they, they just want to induce fear in people, and and uh, I think it's crazy that our economy has shut down due to it. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like people at risk, like old people and people with pre-existing conditions, they should be the ones that stay home. Everyone else get to work. Right. <laughs> you know what? You know what? The, this is kind of a good – it's kind of a good time for makers and what we're doing is because it's like kind of like a catch-up time. Like you can get inventory ready and fucking yeah. – that's what I'm doing. That's I'm true. out there busting my ass at now. I'm like, fuck yeah, nobody's fucking – Everybody's got their eyes on this shit. Let me stay over here and work my ass off to build up a shit ton of stock for when because this shit's gonna be over soon. Let's be honest. I mean, nothing yeah. lasts forever. Yep. So 
when it gets back to normal, I want a shit ton of stuff sitting around to sell. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I uh, I think another reason that I've had mild success during this time is because I'm selling to fucking psycho preppers. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I could, I, I could yeah. use that. That's a piece of utilitarian. You know, I, yeah, I, that that, yeah. that can be helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's if, a good if point. You look at if you look at footage on the news of New York City, it's a it's a ghost town. It looks like the zombie apocalypse hit. There's yeah. No uh, the yeah. people that are, the people that are out have masks on and they're stumbling around. It looks crazy. I so, just saw a video of <laughs> Vegas uh, yeah. this morning, and yeah. they the casinos actually turned off all their lights and shit, and like they're not letting people in and all this crazy shit. It looks weird to see Vegas dark like that's some like apocalypse shit because yeah. they don't ever fucking turn their lights off. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point, Roy. Though uh, I have been selling a lot of World War II fighting knives, but not not any butcher equipment. Right. Uh, and and just so I sold uh, that Craftsman hatchet and a, a twenty inch flying fox, um, and they were both of them at two twenty five price point. So still a lot of money, but not break the bank kind of stuff. And it's a twelve inch, a twenty inch, very packable utilitarian piece mm-hmm. of equipment that. You know, God forbid anything freaking happen. You throw on a backpack and you you grab a hatchet or you grab a knife. A lot of the stuff that you sell, though, man, like, dude, it's so freaking cool and so nice. Like all this old trench art stuff that you you sell, like, ah, I don't like. Would would that go in the backpack or? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, a just, lot of it isn't the most practical. Uh, it's functional, probably not as practical as uh, a newer piece, but um, people appreciate the cool factor. I mean, yeah, that's why I bought and why I restore it. Appreciate the history behind it and how cool it looks. Um, stuff like that just isn't made anymore. Uh, it's a it's yeah. a lost art to find something like that. So that's what I love about my job is finding something that's uh, awesome, but you know, not in the best shape, and bringing it back to life, making it functional again. To me, that's like such a satisfying thing to do is to take something that's that's uh, thrown out garbage, no one wants yep. it, and uh, turning it into something functional. It's a it's an awesome thing to do. Hell yeah, that's badass. So, what about you, Mount Philip? What have you been working on? What's going what on? Hey, I, 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 I saw y'all make a fucking war axe thing. Oh yeah, Ilya's on this crazy. Uh, we're gonna start making. Russian Slavic axes. So that's, a, that's what he's been doing. Slav life. Yeah, he's been making these crazy. Uh, no collusion. His style axes. Yeah. Matt's out there handling some today because I want to throw the fuck out of them because he's making them really cool and he's got these really cool. He's calling it the Road Rage series. Oh, God. Yeah. So, but yeah, really so, good axes. Do you want to talk about your handle work? No, absolutely not. Why, I, fucking why hate, not? I fucking hate wood. That's all there is to it. Wood, wood is good for fucking burning, and that's it. I fucking hate putting handles on shit. I hate wood. Ilya hates wood so much that he actually made a steel handle for a top tool yesterday, and I said, why'd you make it out of steel? He said, I didn't feel like fucking with wood today. Hey. <laughs> I fucking hate wood. Hey. So I know a couple episodes ago I said I'm not doing any more freaking collaborations, but uh, on a serious note, if you all I'll say something, yeah, yeah, I'll say something to him and see what they're right now. We're just he's playing around with different styles and 
he's got some really cool shit that he's doing. He's putting these Damascus bits in, and his style is just uh, totally unique compared to what everybody else does, like as far as forging, because American and English have their way of making a traditional axe, and Ilya's kind of putting his, like, Ilya flair, his Russian flair on it, and it's kind of it's really fucking cool looking, actually. But it's very Mad Max-ish looking and apocalyptic looking. Yeah. So that's so, what he's been doing this week is just making that shit. Matt's handling them, and we're setting up a throwing board in the field. Oh, God. The shop. Yeah, because I, like, I'm literally, I'm not joking when I say I want to throw every single why do you, like? Why do you want to throw? Like, I don't our, fucking our... know. I feel like shit should just be thrown, and if it sticks, it's fucking badass. Oh, God. <laughs> Your next like, thing you next thing, like next thing you get a knife I, like what do you do you cut some paper and shit no you're gonna throw that motherfucker if it sticks, I would it's never fucking, think to throw like oh, hey I got this really cool knife I'm gonna throw it so, no I'm so gonna fucking guy, stab I'm gonna stab uh, something Maker's <laughs> Camp last year at Maker's Camp last year in upstate New York I told the story on the the Fools of Tools podcast but uh, Steve Pellegrino was one of the demonstrators he's a, a stock and rule guy. Or he's, he's a knife maker. He's a stock removal guy. Whatever. He forges, does stock removal. But anyways, his demo for the day, he's sitting there. He's, he's just finishing on a strop belt, and he's, like, getting this thing razor sharp. And I was like, is it heat treated and tempered? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's all done. First thing I do is I throw it into the fucking picnic table, and the tip <laughs> sticks in and hits at a weird angle and goes, pink, and breaks oh, off. Shit. I felt like such shit. He's like, he's like well... I guess it wasn't heat treated that well. <laughs> he had to fucking redo the whole tip. But I felt like such shit. And they were like, why do you always want to fucking throw knives and shit? I Seriously. Like, I just want to fucking throw shit. Because I have but no interest I'm... of, I have no interest in, in, in like knives and axes and shit unless I can like do something with them. Because I'm it's... like, what the fuck? What am I doing? I'm not sitting here it's... cutting shit up. What? It's, called, it's called quality control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I told him, I was like, Dude. well. Should have did a better fucking job. <laughs> the next time you and I are talking, you're going to go, hey, hey, Roy, guess what? I, I'm the lead champion at my local axe throwing venue. Oh, like no, that, that, not... That's the person you're going to no, be. So we're trying to – no, Matt gave me that story this morning. He was the champion like a couple weeks ago or whatever. But anyway, we're trying to sell to those guys. So we want to – me and Ilya were talking. I want to make a line of uh, forged throwing axes for them. Instead of having like – these not generic, so to speak, but just mass produced axes, like make mm-hmm. something that has some flair because we can do that. We have the option to put all these crazy little additions on it that just don't make it look like a traditional throwing axe. So I think we're going to do a run of them. And we have an uh, axe throwing place that just opened a couple weeks ago. It's called like Stubbies. Oh, God. <laughs> stubbies and chubbies. Stubbies, stubbies, stubbies axe throwing. So, yeah, we're going to try and offer Are we them still up. talking about not, uh, axes right now? Axes, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're getting shit. a chubby from talking oh, about Oh, my axes. God. Mm, axes. <laughs> oh, shit. Hey, Chris. Hey, uh, so, yeah, buddy. Oh, go, so go, ahead. go ahead. Okay, Chris, uh, you're saying you hate wood. I mean, it is not the most ideal handle because yeah. it can over time rot and fall apart yeah. have you ever seen the uh cast aluminum handles that uh, that i collect from um, world war ii fighting knives no no i can't say i have yeah it's it's been a kind of obsession of mine and so uh, so the, it's an option. the oh no shit cast aluminum Interesting. what year what time frame would they have been from um so lots of guys did it between 
really the 1940s and 50s is when a lot of guys did it. Really? Yeah. And I don't know hmm. why, but uh, they, they hold up to the test of time. I find them now, another 70 years later, and they're still... And you so said they were, on, they were on knives? Yeah, it's an option for you, though. Oh, aluminum, I see, I see, yeah, yeah. World War II light, era. Light, aluminum. Yeah. But it's super durable and uh, could create some interesting balance on a throwing axe. I don't know. So, so some of these ones that have, um, I'm looking at a picture you have on there of the, it says World War II era aluminum handles. Yeah. Are are some of the I know they're cast, but are the carvings cast in as well, or are they actually done after the fact? Can you tell that, like so, in person? Do you say carvings? Yeah, it looks like yeah. some of them have some engravings. Like, engraving. Yeah, so, well, yeah, car- so those yeah, are, car- yeah carving. So, if it was wood engraving for a so they're yeah. not they're not carved. Come on, engraved. Chris. <laughs> those are not carved or engraved those are the actual moldings that the aluminum was poured into oh okay cool so yeah that's what i was wondering if they a, were like the pattern is in the mold gotcha that's crazy and what are what are some of the patterns on there i mean those are like different little it looks like one there's like a dog on it or something i can't really tell yeah, but... yeah that's one yeah so that was just for some flair but lots of the the patterns that are molded um, are for grip. So you'll see lots of like um, cross hatchings or. Uh, but there was no significance to where, where, wherever they came from. You know I what mean, I mean? Like there wasn't like American flag on it or something like that or a bald so, eagle. So some of the castings were stamped with the um, maker's name. There's a guy, Murphy, who did a lot of aluminum okay. cast handles. Um, Bartow was another guy who did it. They made them for World War II fighting knives. And there's a few guys who were famous for it. Um, but then there's lots of no names who did it. Guys just in the garage that knew how to yeah. pour hot aluminum into a mold and would make you know make them themselves. How were they fixed on the blade? So all of them are full tang. So uh-huh. and I don't really know much about the process, but basically, uh, you you would put the uh, full tang into the mold and then pour the hot. Oh hot no shit! And it That's what I was. Yeah, the yeah, aluminum was actually at the fused, picture. The, the aluminum, hot aluminum would actually fuse to the the tank ah okay yeah because i was looking to see if there was any pins or nope whatever so i mean interesting so, so uh, some of them that i have are actually aluminum slab scales which is different so they were actually, yeah they would actually uh cast it would just be a solid block like a stock removal of a, a yeah. solid piece of aluminum or uh the castings would would then be um riveted onto the handle if they're slabs that is crazy cool so one last question dan Yep. Uh, well, it's it's a two part question. And then One... you're fucking out of here for real. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the cleaver that is your logo. Um, yeah. Whenever I think we were hanging out one time, and you were descri- you were describing it, you're like, "This is my favorite shape of cleaver." So there's that. And then we were talking also a couple years ago that there's a cleaver with essentially like an axe handle type swell on it is that or am i making something up it almost like it like it flares out like uh like a palm swell of an axe but it's oh, on yeah. a cleaver yeah i mean so that is the shape that's on my logo it's, it's called i mean technically it's called a pistol grip ah. so oh so it, it's both of them for that particular shape that's on your logo like yeah, that's but- that's the shape and it has kind of the the well handle on it 
Yeah, so this this is the swell, and it is similar to an axe handle. If you if you you know how it swells out at the ends, what you do, it's a little fallen um, foot or whatever you call yeah, it. Yeah, basically, it's for the grip. So, like, obviously, the thicker it gets towards the end, right. the less likely it's going to slip out of your hand. So that's the whole point behind it. So, um, with axes, we've got all types types of different patterns: Michigan, Dayton, Jersey, blah blah blah. Are there different shapes and patterns of cleavers? You mean like the, they, they go by names? Uh, the blade, you mean? Well, I'm, no, I'm like, means oh, like, oh, uh, like overall shape. Overall yeah. shape because the shape that's on your logo is very different than a straight spine shape for like another cleaver. I'm just saying, do they have different names for the different shapes? Not officially because there's, there's nothing that governed it across the board for every company that made cleavers. So they would all call them different things. So okay. it doesn't, it doesn't really, there's no, not the same correlation when you go from ax heads to uh, cleaver designs. It doesn't really work like that. So what, what do you call the cleaver design shape? That's your logo because it's very swoopy. It's very, very Roy, sexy. it's called a fucking cleaver. That's what it's telling you. It's a fucking cleaver. There's no goddamn names for them. Like fucking axes. It's a fucking cleaver. That's it. That's it. That's what he calls it. It's a fucking cleaver. <laughs> Motherfucker. There's our intro. <laughs> no. The only I think, I think, I think what he's feature, saying is li there literally yeah. is no name for them. Yeah, so the only identifiable feature on it that has a name is the pistol grip handle. That's about okay. it. Yeah. But it's got that such a pronounced swoop up so to the, the, swoop, the... The swoop is called a hump. The hump. There you go. It's called, it's called a hump. Okay. And, and there's a there's a practical reason for it. So the reason that these old style cleavers would swoop up towards the front of the, the top front spine of the blade is it adds extra weight to the the end of the cleaver. So the more weight you have on the blade, the easier it's going to cut through bone. Ah. ah okay. No shit. You're, I mean, you're fucking, you know what, Dan? Yeah. You're a smart motherfucker, man. <laughs> this motherfucker, when you, you fucking go after something, dude. I mean, <laughs> fuck, who knows about cleavers? Dan's here telling you all about cleavers. People, if you want to know about cleavers, Dan is your fucking guy. There's butchers that probably don't know as much as fucking Dan does. No, I mean, that's a, that's a goddamn truth. I'm, yeah. not called, I'm not called the cleaver king for nothing. Are you called fucking, the cleaver? Is yes, he's thing? called the cleaver. Yes, it's no the shit. fucking thing. No yes. shit. The cleaver king. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm in deep, guys. I'm in deep. Good. That's good. good way to be. Yeah. What do you think? Wrap it up? Yep. All right. This is the part of the show where we like to give somebody out there some love that may not be getting any love, or we just want to give them some love because we fucking want to give them some love. So we'll go with uh, Roy. Who you got? God damn it! I always why do you why do you always I'll go first? first. No, I buddy. got it, dude. I'm prepared. <laughs> I am fucking prepared right. right now. Let's go. The Elder Anvil. Um, I mentioned him two times now, but I want to give him an official shout out for making these hand shaped carving axes. Uh, he's got a power hammer. Um, he does incredible work. He's out of North Carolina, South Carolina. This guy is awesome. He's genuine. Uh, he's a young guy. And watch out for him because he's going to be doing things that if he gets the right equipment um, and gets the right freaking capital, this guy's going to go fucking places. I'm telling you right now. What's his name? I know it's the, the Elder Anvil. I know the, that. 
the elder anvil um what's his real name um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> way to fucking go Roy. his last name is elder i think it's like uh tom elder or something like he's a super cool guy i've hung out with him several times he's first super name elder last name anvil <laughs> there you go todd, elder. Ah! todd thank you Jesus todd Christ. elder Todd Elder, find him on Instagram at the Elder Anvil. Roy Done. loves him. He makes some good shit. Oh, hang Dan. on one second. Oh, one second. Jesus Christ. Do you see this? It's yes. one of Wayne's center punches. Wayne, Wayne's center punches. I the got it yesterday. Forged. Cool. Dude, it is so freaking nice. That's uh, awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah. I love that guy. Sweet. All right. Who you got, Dan? Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so... I, ha- I mean, I can't not say Brent Anderson. He's been fr- with me from pretty much the beginning. We're like brothers. Uh, he's at Fifth Arrow Knives on Instagram. He does the best handle work in the world. That's why I work with him. Uh, Hands down. Him- yeah, go check him out. What is it? Um, Fifth Arrow Knives? Yeah, Fifth Arrow Knives. 5TH. Yes. 5TH. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He not only does the handle work, but he also actually makes the scales for the handles. He does it all. He's Awesome. awesome. And he's a no fucks given kind of yeah. guy. This is yeah, what it says true. in tweets. Negative and dumb comments get you blocked. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. Right? That's Dude, a good way that, to that, be. That guy's awesome. He is. He's been very yeah. helpful to me, too. Whenever I was doing my epoxy work, I reached out to him, and he was very nice. Uh, he gave me some advice, and it really, really helped. So if you're listening to this, Brent, I doubt you are, but thank you for helping me out. There's something that's about what you need to know. If you're not a dick, he's going to help you out. Hell yeah. yeah. That, that's fair. Yeah. There you go. Well, who that's you nice. got, Chris? What you got? I got, uh, he goes by the name of Custom Steel on Instagram with a K. It is my friend. He's a local guy. Well, he's local to Maryland. He's in Baltimore. He is a crazy, crazy uh metal artist sculptor he does some insane over-the-top shit uh carl sar is his name custom steel with a k on what i'm looking at him right now dude he's pretty crazy he does some intense uh he does a lot of material building and then carving um what yeah i actually want to have him on the podcast because he's a super underrated artist and craftsman and nobody Dude. really knows who the fuck he is but he does some intense crazy he's a hell of a hell of a nice guy like, seriously this yeah this he's fucking a seahorse yeah you can go you can go back in his uh, feed and he's got some pretty crazy carvings that he does out of steel um this one it's pretty yeah freaking yeah that. yep Dude, so, yeah, the, Carl Star, custom steel. The detail on this stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, he's from, he's from uh, Baltimore. That's where. Um, yeah. That's where Brent's from? I mean, same area. Brent's from. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Do you do you know that Mount Phillip Metalworks is from Maryland also? Wow, really? Yeah. 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 No Brent, big deal. Brent is in Maryland. You said, or he's from Maryland. Yeah, he's in Maryland. Yeah. Oh, he's in Maryland. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wonder where he's at. Interesting. I bet like, Dan knows where, where I, like I do, but I'm not giving out his address. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, well, what's it, it, what's it, is he in a city? No, no, he's uh, he's by the water, by the bay. Oh, he's on the eastern shore. Okay, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's a little bit away from me then. I'm about three so, hours from the eastern shore. So the interesting thing about him, if I can speak candidly, is uh, he's a deer hunter, 
um, which you don't like. I, I don't think of Maryland as a hunting populate, like, oh, I'm going to go to Maryland to go hunting. But he does this coastal hunting stuff. He's got a deer stand. He takes his kid yeah. out there. Like, a, a serious outdoorsman. Um, like, I don't know him personally. I just know him through Dan. Um, but he seems like uh, an all-around great guy. Yeah, he's the real deal. But, but oh. seriously, this this Carl Sar S Carl Sar. Yep. Yep. Wow. Carl Sar. Like, he actually did the. Um, you know what? One of his big uh, things that he did. He did all of the door pulls for the uh, Baltimore Ravens Stadium. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's these big uh, seven, seventeen or eighteen inch wings, like Raven wings. And How do you get those contracts? God. Uh, he's been in that area for a while. He's he's kind of well-known, but he's not really well-known. And I want more people to know what he does because his work is insane. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seriously. He does some crazy piston head stuff. Yeah. Love it. So, yeah. Carl Sar. We definitely need to get him on here sometime. Thank you for Dan. I cannot thank you enough. The motherfucking Cleaver King. Find the him Cleaver at, King. The Cleaver King. Find him <laughs> at Upbeat Vintage on Instagram. It is not what you think it is. It is a lot cooler than some vintage antique crappy bullshit account. <laughs> he puts a lot of time into his shit. No, you know what I mean. It's like the name is. It puts you in mind. Like no, this guy has cool shit on there. Go to Upbeat Vintage, Dan. From New York, I thank you, my brother. Guys, appreciate I appreciate it. it. Thank you for hi- highlighting what I do. I really Absolutely. You're doing an awesome, awesome job, and keep it up, man. Thanks, man. Let- Cheers.